talking about it yesterday. She said, how do people live without the Lord? I said, you know the sad part about it is? Some of them do. And they really don't think they need him. I said, but you and I ought to be so happy because the truth of it is, we couldn't. Do you realize without the Lord in your life, some of you would just take your life. You'd end up on pills. You'd end up on this, that, and other because you're made to live for God. You're made to need him. Isn't that a blessing? You're made to need God. You just, you can't function without him, Brother Paul. We have to have him in our lives. I'm so grateful that it's that way. God bless you. Let's turn to now to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Let's go back to the great master builder of the New Testament age. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Now, Paul is speaking to ministers in these first few verses, preachers, and he's likening them to builders as well. But he doesn't call them master builders. Now, he's warning preachers and telling them what they must be careful of. But don't just focus tonight on that this scripture is for preachers only. But in one sense, it's for all of us. As we sing the song, I'm working on a building, I'm working on a building. Well, everybody here is working on it in some way or another. Because your life testifies and will reach people and either convince them or make them wonder, you know, if the truth is really right or not. So each of us have something to contribute. But here Paul is focusing on the preachers, and listen to what he says. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man, and Paul was really, really strange here because he didn't believe women ought to preach. So he didn't say any women preachers, but he said any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, and listen to how he says this, for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Notice now, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. 
Now listen to this. What a what a astounding thing. Paul separates men's work from their destiny. So there will be preachers that will ab- absolutely lose every every work that they have done in the name of Christ but will be saved themselves. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I guess we better dismiss right now if y'all going to be this quiet. That's what your Bible says. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so as by fire. And we'd love to be remembered tonight as we pray. Sister Martha Sacker has a couple of cousins that are very needy in prayer, and she wants us to pray over this tonight and may preach with them. I mean, has a need in your life, maybe your body, your home, your walk. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads to the dust of the earth from whence we were taken. Knowing, Lord, one day, unless the change comes, we will go back that way. Lord, as I sit this afternoon reading these scriptures and looking at them, Father, you heard the cry of my heart. Dear God, I, I never want to be this, this scripture. I do not want to fulfill this, Lord. I don't want to be a man that would give years of my life to the cause and then find out that I had built it out of wood, hay, or stubble. I pray, Father, that I wouldn't be the only one in this place tonight, but may each of us realize what a a, a tremendous thing that this is, but yet a serious thing as well. Father, you see these needs represented by these handkerchiefs that I have. I'm asking you that you would be with them, Lord. Everybody that raised their hand, it signified a request, a desire. Would you meet that tonight, Father? Father, I pray for those that are sick, couldn't be with us in the service tonight. Father, you see that Scotty had an accident yesterday with a saw and hurt his thumb and, Lord, in real bad pain. Erica still dealing with the shingles. We're believing you, Father, for a complete deliverance for her. Lord Jesus, so many needs, and we just thank you that you're our God and you take care of all of them. Bless us tonight, Father, as we're gathered here. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. I'm sure you realize already that there's a great difference between the white throne judgment and what is identified as the Bema, B-E-M-A, the Bema throne or the Bema judgment. The white throne will be, of course, the book of Revelation, and John says, I saw the dead, both small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books. Now there, it is a judgment of destiny based upon works. But what Paul 
is going to read or going to tell us here tonight that we'll read here in a minute is not a judgment of destiny, but it is a judgment of rewards by works. Now, we are not saved by works. Everybody believes that. Grace is what he did for us. Works is what we do back for him and his kingdom. But because works doesn't save us, doesn't mean that we don't want to have works. We do want to have the right kind of works. But we want to make sure that the works that we are doing are based on the word. And that we're not basically wasting our time. Because this setting that Paul lays out for us, it's quite phenomenal. That someone could labor in the name of Jesus. They could actually preach Christ. They could preach that he is the Messiah. The Son of God. That he raised from the dead that he does wonderful things, and yet at the end of the way, they will lose every sermon they ever preached. Every hour that they studied, it will be as if though there's no record at all. Now, let me be the first one to say to you tonight, I'm not sure how all of this works, but I know one thing, it ain't gonna work for me. I'm not going to be that type of a guy. Now, will there be differences of degrees in heaven? There will be. I don't think there'll be anybody there that will be walking around heaven sad and downcast and a broken attitude. And you can tell by looking at that person that they suffered loss and they have no reward. I'll just be the first one to tell you. I don't know exactly how it's going to work, but I know this is God's word and it has to work right. But I do know, according to what we've just read, there will be people that will suffer a tremendous loss. And the Greek word that is used there, we'll get to in a bit, but it's as if though God, it's it's that they are punished, in a sense, with a fine. So they are fined because their work was destroyed. I said, how could that be, Brother Donnie? It's all because of the material that they use. Now, we may look at him and say, oh my, this man's a great man. Oh, he's preached for 45 years. He's done this and that and the other. But you see, God looks at more than the years that the man may have studied or the years that the man might have been a pastor or a bishop or a teacher or whatever more. But God also looks at the motive and the objective while the man is preaching. Because you see, every man that preaches is not preaching for the right reason. Every man that studies does not study for the right cause. Now, people sometimes don't pick that up. Sheep are able to hear a man say, wow, man, I really enjoy that guy. Boy, he does really, really good. But you see, God don't just look at his ability to speak. But God looks at the man's heart to know why the man is preaching. Now, I know, I, know it, it's, I just can't even, I can't even comprehend this. I've got to be honest with you. I can't imagine a preacher preaching for any other reason than being because God called him. I honestly cannot process 
that a man would want to be a preacher and want to get up before people and want to study and want to put himself through so much torment in life for envy or for jealousy of another man. Well, you're looking at me funny, but in a few minutes you'll have to say amen because I'm going to prove that to you from the Bible. Now, watch this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we, notice now, Paul is referring to himself as the rest of the saints. So he's speaking to the Corinthian saints as well. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, keep in mind that there's two judgments and there's two judgment seats. Now, the word that he used right here is a different word than the one that was used in the book of Revelation. This one is Bema, B-E-M-A. It is an elevated place, an elevated place that people walk out on. So it's not like on a level plateau, but it is an elevated place and people walk out on this elevated position and there they are going to be judged for their works. Now remember the bride does not go in the rapture because of works. The bride is not bride because of works. She is bride because of election. And the church said, she is called by God, chosen by God. There's not one thing she can do to make herself bride. And let me go to the other side of that. There's not one thing she can ever do to unmake herself bride. If she is, she is. And if she ain't, she ain't. Now that's pretty common. You should be able to, anybody should be able to understand that. But there is a distinction even in the bride when it will come to works. Now are there people in the bride that possibly might fit into this category that at the Bema they will be fined. They will lose their, their reward. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm no judge. That's for God to say. But, now let, let's read. So, for all, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Now listen carefully. So, Paul says then that all believers will come before the Lord Jesus in this elevated platform called the Bema. Now, they are going to be tested to see what type of building material that they used in the house of God. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, the object of the test is that our works may be categorized. Now, Paul done said it in 1 Corinthians here that the day will declare our works. So we don't want to just do, do just a bunch of stuff for God, but we want to make sure that what we're doing will pass. Well, Brother Donnie, how can I be sure? Judge it by the word right now. Let it pass the test right now, and you'll have nothing to worry about then. But you see, those who shirk the word, and they won't let what they feel led to do be judged by the word, more than likely they'll suffer loss. 
Because you see, a real believer is not afraid of the Word. They're not afraid of the Word at all. Because they know the Spirit of God will never lead you or you or me or anyone else to do anything contrary to what His Word says. And the church says... So oh, you say, How, you mean I'm going to live my whole life and I'll get to the end of the way and I'll perish? No, not if you don't want to. Well, you say, how, how will I know that I won't suffer loss? Judge it by the word right now. And if you're using hay, wood, and stubble, get rid of it. And use building material that will be able to withstand the fire. Now I want you to notice categorically how that Paul breaks this down. And he places gold, silver, and precious gems or jewels. Now those are treasures which most of the time must be mined out of the earth. Now, of course, there's been times that somebody would be on, out on a creek hunting or they'd be doing this as it was in the gold rush in 1849 in Alaska, as it was in the Black Hills of South Dakota and different places and they would be in a, in a creek or something like that and they would see a little speck of gold. Then they would start digging and looking around. But for the most part, gold, silver, and precious gems have to be mined out of the earth. Now remember Paul, for the overemphasizing this, I hope it don't bother you too much, that he's pointing this mainly at preachers. So there are a category of preachers and they preach stubble sermons. They preach wood sermons. They preach chaff type of sermon. So they really don't spend a lot of time mining the refined resources that God gave them because it just simply takes too much time. So they just go out. You know what? You could be able to gather stubble and wood and hay probably in your backyard. You'd be able to go right out there and you'd be able to pick it up. It's not very pretty. It's not a great resource. It has hardly no value at all. But if you get gold and silver and precious gems, they're going to have to be mined. It will take prayer. It will take consecration to God. It may take study and more study and more study. But you know what I've realized is that if you've got lazy Christians sitting in the pew, they really don't like a well-mining preacher. Because that well-minding preacher wears them out. So what they really prefer is a wood preacher or a stubble preacher or a hay preacher. Because that's all they hear. That's all they want to live. And they don't want no more. Well, I guess you and him can be burned up together. Oh, my goodness. Now, watch this. This is not my saying. Now, I'm reading to you from the Bible, right? Y'all believe this is the Bible? So the outcome of this test the owner of the gold, the silver, and the precious gems. That owner will receive a reward. But the owner of the wood, now this will be irrefutable. It cannot be questioned because you are standing there, every preacher, every preacher in the message, where it's an evangelist, a teacher, a pastor, claims to be a prophet, claims to be an apostle, whatever he claims to be. His work will be made manifest and the day will declare it. So there'll be no way to get away from it. It'll not be said, well, you know what? No, 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 that, that's not me. You've got the wrong guy. That, that's Brother John's work there. Lord, I know, I'm, I'm Donnie Reagan. This is my work right here. I will be identified with everything that I do. The sermons that I preach, the amount of time I put into it, 
I will be, I will answer before God. I think if preachers really believe this, they'd spend a whole lot more time and be a whole lot more careful about what they say when they stand up before God's people. But somehow we've got it in our mind that as bride, we never stand before any throne at all. You need to reread your Bible. Because Paul is not speaking now to the non-elect or the foolish virgin. So notice how that he brings this out and he says the others, now what it will be with the wood, the hay, and the stubble. It will be tried by the fire. Now, of course, this is a metaphoric symbol that was used in the Old Testament as well as the New. And if yours is the gold, the silver, and the precious stones, then they will abide in the fire. So you're not afraid of the fire. A real believer, they really don't, they don't prefer test over the mountaintop. They like a good mountaintop experience every now and then. But they're not afraid of the valley. They're not afraid of the fire because they believe what they have is pure, genuine, and right. And what will the fire do? I told you several years ago, Carol and I went to South Africa. And we went down to a a place that they used to mine gold. We went way, way down and back into this place. And they had a, a pot of gold out there. And they would heat it up. I forget how many degrees that it was. And they explained it that they'd heated this same pot of gold over and over and over again. And they'd get it to thousands of degrees as far as to be able to make it where it would become molten. And then they would pour it out. And the, the man explained every time that they heated this gold to this level, it made it that much more pure each time. Now, the first time that you would have put a piece of wood under that fire, we know what would have happened. 2,000 degrees, it would have burned up in a matter of minutes and it would have been nothing but ashes. Well, what about hay? Less than that. What about stubble? Less than that. But it would simply refine the gold. It would refine the silver. So, you know, there's one thing about many of the gems that are dug up out of the earth. Now, we know there's one very unique one that does not come out of the earth, but it actually comes from a little sea creature. And it is caused by an irritant that gets inside of its little shell. It can be a sand, it can be a little burr, it can be many different things. It's an oyster, you know that. And he will start secreting this thing inside of his body to be able to envelop this and make a pearl. But do you know that pearls cannot be cut? Do you know that pearls are not like diamonds? They're not like sardonyx. They're not like all types, topaz and all of that. No, they're not to be cut. They are to be taken in the shape they are. And then they will set them according to the shape that they bear. Now, what you notice, wonder why the Lord God is making the great gates out of the city that we're going to enter into, making them out of pearls. And every several gate was a pearl. Now, I read it to you here Sunday that God said, blessed are they that obey his commandments that they may have a right to the tree of life. But it didn't get to the last part of that verse that said that they may be able to enter into the gates uh, through the gates. What are those gates? Pearl, pearl. 
So the pearl comes to much testing and much trials. So the bride of Christ is not afraid because she does not want to present wood, hay, stubble, vanity, vainglory. Look at me. I'm a great big guy. I'm this and that and the other. That's wood, hay, and stubble. Now I want you to notice about these in the category that they're in. That the gold, the silver, and the gems are durable material. So the fire does not destroy them. They are durable material. But look at the other. They are perishable material. Wood, hay, stubble, all perishable. I wonder how much time we spend in our lives on things that are absolutely going to be annihilated one of these days. You see, in other words, Paul is setting forth to us that there's two kinds of preachers. Now, mainly whenever he's dealing with this, you read it and you'll you'll see where I'm coming from. That there are some that are sound. They're sound, solid gospel preachers on the word. And then there are others, they simply are not. Now, will they be saved? Yes, so it shows us then that these men are of a savable substance, but they just are not having a wholesome doctrine. Some of them probably not even called in the first place. But yet he knows to be able to put it forth in what is called the touchstone. How many knows what a touchstone is? They would use it for gold, for silver, uh, in order to prove if it was true gold or not. So it is a trial. It is a touchstone. So you're able to check and test now so you won't be disappointed when you stand before him then. Now all Christianity, every Christian, every child of God here tonight is going to stand before the Lord at this bema. Every child of God that's here, one to every child of God that's ever lived on the face of the earth are going to stand before the Lord. And we're going to walk up to that elevated place and when we do, we want our works to be able to stand. How many does? With all your heart. So the doctrine of Christ and the truth of the gospel must exceed. And in order to, for us to be identified with that, our works must be able to stand the fire. So the test will prove the worth or the worthlessness of every preacher and some preachers will stand there and their works will be worthless because it was all about them oh they preached Christ they talked about him but in reality it was all about them notice 1 Corinthians again 3.12 Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Now, look with me how that, I put this together like this so you'll be able to see it. Gold, silver, precious stones. Permanent, beautiful, valuable, hard to obtain. Gold, silver, precious stones. Permanent, beautiful, valuable, Hard to obtain. Wood, hay, stubble, passing, temporary, ordinary, even ugly, cheap, easy to obtain. 
And that's a kind of walk many folks want with God. They want the easiest way out. Just show me how close I can walk to the world. Don't exact no more out of me than what I've got to do. And I'll walk the line. I'll get as close to the world as I can and still be saved. And you'll lose everything you ever do. Oh my. You see, true ministers that are called of God, they have a desire to dig into the scriptures to find those treasures which are hidden there. Now, my goodness, can you imagine if a lot of us had to make our living by going out and digging for gold and silver and gems? We wouldn't know where to start. We wouldn't know what to look for, would we? We'd starve to death in two weeks' time. We wouldn't know what to do. And yet, that's exactly the way Paul runs the parallel of God called men that will be able to stand the test of time and the test of the fire at the end time. So you can find wood, hay, stubble just about everywhere. And you don't have to mine the stubble. You don't have to mine the hay. And depending on what wood it is, you don't have to necessarily mine the wood. But in order to get a quality of gold, a quality of silver, and of the gems, it will take work. It will take substantial work and investment in order to reach down in there and be able to bring a nugget out of God's word and every man of God gets that out in his own way and his own gift and he will polish that thing before the people and my, how he takes that and rubs it over and over. Now some men are called and when they come out, my, it's like they bring out a whole wheelbarrow load of stuff. Other brothers, they may not be gifted like that, but what they bring out, it's as polished just as much as the man who brought out a a whole wheelbarrow load because they've done their very best. They did not throw a sermon together. They did not just get by on Sunday morning. Well, praise God, it's over. Let's get the ties and go home. Shame on any preacher that has that kind of attitude. Not even fit to pack a Bible. Lazy preachers. And lazy Sunday school teachers will have much to answer for at the Bema of God. Well, praise the Lord. I guess if some of y'all knew I was preaching this, you'd have probably had a headache tonight, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, my back's hurting me a little bit. Well, it might not have been for it come in, but it may be the time you leave. Notice in verse 13 how he says, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day. Notice the word he uses, the day. The day itself shall prove it. You understand the day we're in. Now in Luther's day, Luther's day proved what men were of God and which ones were not. Now there was some that came out after Luther started the Reformation. But they were more of a detriment to the Reformation than they were a help. And they actually became part of the cause of the persecution and they brought great reproach on the message of that day. Do you know that, that the historians that wrote in the time of the first century, uh, many of you that, that remember reading in your Bible, when Claudius, the emperor of Rome, and he banned all the Jews out of Rome, 
But yet two of the noted Roman historians say, Aquila and Priscilla, of course, were, had Roman citizenship, and they were forced to leave Rome, and no Jews could go back into Rome. But it was not just because they were Jews alone. But one of the noted historians said that the followers of Christus, which is Christ, the followers of Christus were so divided and arguing and fussing and debating over which one was right and which one was wrong that Claudius got so sick of it that he banned them and made them leave. Do you understand that when Paul got ready to go to Rome, that some of these wood preachers, stubble preachers, hay preachers had went in front of Paul and when he got there to Rome, he only had a handful of people that even showed up to hear him. The church age messenger, can you imagine? So it was not Claudius that did that. It was not later on the the different Caesars, Nero and them that did it. But it was actually some of the preachers around the message that Jesus was the son of God. And they had went in before Paul and poisoned his influence. My goodness, saints. Notice this. So he says, every man's work shall be made manifest. So in other words, the real nature of the work, either the worth or the worthlessness of each man's work will be made known. So some of the builder's work will absolutely vanish. So you imagine men that will stand there and they've given decades of their life, they think, to building on the kingdom of God and they will stand there and their hands will be totally empty. They will have nothing, nothing. Because they built it on an idea or a theological this and that and the other or an arrogance. The reason they preached was to get at another man. And they will stand before God with nothing as if though they just got saved. Lord Jesus, help us. Philippians chapter 1 verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. So you imagine preachers in the first century and these guys, many of them, they knew they could lose their head. Rome did not know the difference between elect and non-elect. But when Romans hear a guy preaching about Christus, As far as they was concerned, they was all one big group. These guys could have got killed for what they were doing. And yet Paul said they were preaching Christ for envy or strife. Only because they love to argue and they become a preacher. They they had to be something missing up here. I mean a whole load. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy. Oh my goodness, I'll tell you, friend, I read this yesterday and it just just staggered me. As I I thought, God, how how could men do this? 
Why would they subject themselves to everything that goes with being a preacher and their motive is simply envy or strife? So the only reason they preach is to argue and debate and fuss or because they're envious of a God called man. You see, the motives of all preachers are not pure. Oh, my goodness. Some preach him for the love of strife. Others endeavoring to draw people after themselves. Because they look and they say, wow, I wish I was that. I wish I was like that. I wish this, that, and that, the other. Mama. Can you imagine many that have preached in Christ's name will suffer Christ's judgment at the end time? Because the Lord Jesus does not just look at a man's ability to preach. As I saw a YouTube video of one that used to preach. Could say great things. But someone had sent me a video not long ago of him standing in a bar mixing drinks and alcohol. Telling people how to serve this type of drink. I pray God takes me out of this earth before I ever bring any reproach on our Lord Jesus. Friends, this is serious. I found this amazing. I want you to notice this quote with me, the influence of another. When you're playing a ball game as it's football season, I just found that as amazing. I thought, I wouldn't have thought Brother Branham even knew when football season even was. But you learn something, don't you? That is if you can learn something. <laughs> so when you're playing a ball game as it's football season, the thing we want to do is not everybody try to take the ball away from the man that's got it. Now listen to this simple but spiritual analogy. It's trying to guard that man. Protect him. Let him get through. We're trying to make a goal. I want you to notice how the prophet is placing it here. So say uh, God calls a certain man to say, we'll say Paul and Luther and Wesley and, and Brother Branham and all them great men to do only what they could do. And there was countless of men around them that tried to take the ball out of their hands and said, you're not good enough to be a prophet. You're not smart enough. You only got a seventh grade education. And you didn't have this and that and the other. So what they do, they, instead of playing guard and trying to guard the man that God called, they run over and try to take the ball away from him. Praise the Lord. Now, don't some of y'all go looking now and getting your mind on the San Francisco 49ers or whoever else here tonight. We're talking about a different ball game, so stay here with me. Notice he said, protect him. Let him get through. We're trying. Notice how he says it. He doesn't say this man, but we are. We're trying to make a goal, see? But could you imagine a team? Here's our problem. So untrained. A team so untrained as to find one man, their own man 
running with the ball, running to the field goal. And then instead of trying to knock the enemy away from him, the opposing team to let your own man that's got the ball take off with it, every man trying to take the ball out of his hand. So we're supposed to be on the same side. And God will elevate whoever he wants to and use whoever he wants to. But some people think it's not enough glory for them to be able to be a guard. They think it ain't enough glory because they want to make a touchdown. Well, if you're on the same team and that skinny man makes a touchdown, it's still a touchdown for you too because you're on the same side. You're on the same team. But you know it is. Everybody wants to be the man in the limelight. Everybody wants to be the man with that makes the touchdown. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine the prophet of God using such an analogy? I'm glad he did. I think it's a great analogy myself. He said, notice what will happen now. He said, the opposing team to let your own man that's got the ball take off with it. Every man trying to take the ball out of his hand while you're bound to lose. And today we have the same thing. When we see God come on the scene, going to bless a certain thing, let's keep all the enemies away from it. Let's use our influences as tackles, not runners. So let me ask every one of you preachers here tonight, what are you going to use your influence for? You see, some preachers can't stand it. They have to be a runner. But if everybody's a runner, who's going to block? I don't know too much about sports. I never did really get into it that much. But I do know enough about it. I used to watch some man, Harry, whenever we was kids, and we played it a little bit. But most of the time, I always beat him, and Harry was a sore loser. My goodness, we'd stand out in the back and play basketball. We didn't have really no good ball or no nothing else either. We'd just take an old rim or whatever and put it up there. And I'd stand there. I was taller than Harry. I was bigger than him. So I'd just stand there and put it in, put it in. Harry gets a mad head cry. Yeah, that little saintly brother that plays that organ. <laughs> but you see, the prophet in using this, you get in your mind. I mean, he understands what he's saying. So what if everybody on, you know, whatever it is, Tennessee, I suppose, got a team. What's the name of it? Somebody tell me. What? Volunteers. Some of you sitting there as sacrilegious as you can be. You act like you don't want me to know that you know that. My goodness, what do you think I figure them orange blazers are and orange t-shirts and orange ball shoes you all wear? It ain't because you're trying to be an orange tree. (laughs) But can you imagine what everybody would say? So UT, it's, it's right to the final player, whatever it is. And the main guy, he throws the quarterback, throws it, and there's a guy that's a wide receiver. And he takes off running down through the, oh, if he gets a touchdown, he's going to beat Ole Miss or he's going to beat Alabama or whoever it is. And somebody on his own team puts his foot out in front of him and trips him and takes the ball away from him and gives the other side enough time to knock the man down. 
Can you imagine what you Tennessee fans would say? You wouldn't be booing Alabama. You wouldn't be booing Ole Miss or whoever more. You'd be looking for that old boy. You'd want to give him a piece of your mind and maybe a knuckle sandwich along with it. You'd say, what in the world's the matter with you, boy? He was going right down to there. And can't you understand that people will do the same thing in the church of the living God? And preachers have done this ever since God had preachers and they will do it right on down through time. But I say, whoever God's give the ball to, let's guard it. Let's protect it. Let's get behind what God's doing. God called a little old guy from down in Kentucky and the world laughed at him and made fun of him. But I say, we give our life for this Lord Jesus and we stand behind this message of Malachi 4. Let's guard it from the world. Let's guard it from the ungodly. Let's guard it from the evil. Let's guard it from the wicked. Hallelujah. We'll not all be a prophet. We'll not all be a pastor, but somebody's got to guard. Oh my, let's use our influence as tackles, not runners. Tackles that protects the runner. Let him pack the ball through because there's no opposition. You can see why Satan wants to do this. How many preachers down through time they did with Paul? When Paul was there, they was trying to take the ball away from him. Don't you understand when Paul was in prison? These men were out there, the Judaizers, they were out there preaching. And Paul said, you've looked at my bonds. And he said, it was for the furtherance of the gospel. You know why? When Paul was in the Roman prison, part of the Praetorian Guard got a new birth. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. There was Paul right there in the Roman jail. But there must have been some seed down there. God said, Paul, I've got to have to make it a little bit hard on you for a while. But I've got an old boy sending over there with a Roman's hat on. I've got another old boy sending over there. And they're part of the Praetorian Guard. But they actually belong in my army. They belong as part of my word. Go down there and get them, Paul. And what did these guys do? They took advantage of Paul being in jail and they went from every church they could and sowed discord. Why? They wanted the ball. They want to take it out of Paul's hands. Let me do it. Let me do it. Let me make the, let me make the touchdown. Let me make the home run. Let me do it. Let me do it. Do you understand? Them same men will stand before the Lord Jesus one day and give an account. Oh my, I hope they're not lost. I don't know. Only God knows that. Notice this. Let him pack the ball through because there's no opposition. All you have to do is just keep running. We should be tackles. In this football game, even sisters can be tackles. Oh, Brother Donnie, what am I supposed to do? Come up and karate chop? No, I'll tell you what you can do. You can get down on them knees and pray for the men of God in this age. You can get down on them knees and call out the names of the men of God and tackle every discouraging thing that tries to come against them, every spirit of division, every spirit of whatever more that will try to drive the men of God. Why, if Satan cannot get the man himself in sin, he'll try to get the man so discouraged, you think, what's the use of even trying? People are gonna do what they wanna do anyway. You preach holiness and they live the way they wanna live, but God still got some men that said, I've got this ball and I'm gonna make a touchdown. Because if 
I can make one as the pastor of your church, it will cause the coming of the Lord. Oh, don't sit there and look at me funny. I'll read it to you here in a minute. Whenever God's men around the world, whether they're evangelists or teachers or pastors, if they can bring the bride to that place where we can make one touchdown after another after another, it will cause the rapture. I don't blame the devil for trying to stop us. Oh my, listen again, he says. Listen, it's like a ball game. Somebody at a football game, somebody gets the ball, every one of his own players try and take the ball right away from him. You can't win the game. Be a guard. Guard the ball, not to try to take it away from the next man. Again, he says, doors and doors. Now, if you try to take the ball away from your own man, you're messing up your team. The devil don't have to, have to do a whole lot of this stuff to us. We do it ourselves. Guard your man, see? Keep guarding him. Keep the rest of them so he can make the run. And we'll have the touchdown after a while. And Jesus will come. Oh my goodness. So when we make the final touchdown, Jesus will come. I wonder how close we are. We made some touchdowns down in Louisiana. We'll make some the rest of the year in different meetings and things that are going on. I don't think we have to wait for a special meeting. I believe we're going to have a special meeting right here. I don't think we have, well, our youth will go over here and they'll get charged up and revived. I think we ought to have enough revival inside of us. Well, he, we can have revival on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And when we start church back on Saturday night, I ain't waiting until Brother Ron's special meeting in September. I ain't waiting until some other meeting in October. I want tonight to be a special meeting. I want tonight to be a special service. And we'll get behind God's men that's packing the ball. And we'll stand right there and say, oh, no, devil. You devil of discouragement. I'm going to encourage my pastor. I'm going to encourage the evangelist. I'm going to stand between him and discouragement. I'm going to stand between him. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to strengthen him. Oh my, notice this in Philippians 1.16, Paul says, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely. It's staggering, Brother John, it's staggering. You mean a man would preach Christ, but of contention. Look at this word, what it means electioneering or intriguing for office. Ah, so this preacher is a politician. Don't you understand? He's electioneering. So it's like he's running for president. We've got some preachers just as bad as bad off as our president is now. Uh-huh, go ahead, Brother Don. I ain't Democrat and Republican, so I can blast both sides. Every bit of it's rotten. It's bad enough when it's in our nation. What, what's even more sickening is when you see it in the message, when you see it among preachers, that preachers are like electioneers running for governor or vice president or president. Well, praise the Lord. 
Carol, honey, we might need to pack our stuff. They may vote us out of here for Sunday. <laughs> the one preached Christ of contention, electioneering, or intriguing for office, a desire to put oneself forward. So Paul dealt with that in his day? Yep. You know, as I begin to read and study this, I, I, I set it out yesterday as I sat in our downstairs studying, and I said it, said it out loud. Boy, people ain't changed much, have the Lord. Here they were 2,000 years ago, and you got the same thing going on in this day we're living in. So the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely. Oh, my goodness. Supposing to add affliction to my bonds? So some preachers would preach to make it harder on other preachers. They would start a work or a ministry, whatever they wish to call it, for the intent and the purpose of making it harder on a successful God-called man. Ah. Y'all didn't know this is in your Bible, huh? What are they doing? Lying politicians. Mm -hmm. Now, can we imagine anyone in the days of Paul that would have done this? Can, can you imagine, Brother Jim? As I said and read this, I thought, Lord, how, how is that possible? A great anointed servant of God like Paul. And they would actually do this to make it harder on him. So he's in jail now when he's writing this book of Philippians. And they are actually going out from church to church and sowing discord and this and that and the other and trying to ruin Paul's influence among the people. And the sad part about it is some of the sheep in them day listen to it. Can you imagine? Sheep sitting there that were begotten by Paul's ministry. These men did not have the power of begettal. They could not produce new births. And some of these people, Paul birthed them and they walked right away from him. By who? Politicians, football players, spiritual football players. They could stand up and run. Boy, look at them muscles, man. Yeah, look at them things. Woo, woo. Look at them muscles. Man, alive. Look at them leg muscles. Wow, look at that physique. Look at that. Boy, that guy, I'm telling you what, he can throw a ball, I'm telling you. He can run, he can do this, but you can't see in his heart. In his heart, he's got a motive that God hates. And God's got a fire for his work. Oh, my, my. You see, Paul's aim was to get people to Jesus and to glorify the kingdom of God. But these guys were to get people to follow them. <laughs> they were not sincere, and they were doing it for a motive to make it harder on Paul when he got out. And they did. These men succeeded, and when Paul did get out, he had to go behind them and straighten up all of this mess that these men had caused. Wow. My goodness. So they wanted to make Paul feel helpless. 
He's in prison, Brother John. He can't get out. He can only send out a letter every now and then. He don't hardly have any contacts because a lot of the Roman Christians had left him. And would have nothing to do with it. But it was under his ministry that they got the Holy Ghost. God have mercy. Shake us, Lord. Open our eyes. Oh, my goodness. Notice in verse 17. But the other of love. Now, it said some men preach Christ of contention and all that. But the other of love. Knowing. Now, the men, the true men of God, this is what they knew. Knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Won't you listen to this first? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. My goodness. How could this man say this? Notice whether in pretense, which is a cloak or a show or a pretended cause under color as though they would do something. So Paul said, even though some of these guys are as false as they can be. But I want you to notice the key words here. He said they are at least telling somebody that Jesus comes. So instead of Paul sitting down and feeling so sorry for himself, poor little me, here I am down in this Roman jail. Lord, don't you love me no more? Well, what in the world am I doing down here? He said, glory to God. Them guys out there blasting me and they're doing this and that and the other, but they'll get up there and they may something, say something about the Messiah and there's a predestinated seed sitting out there and they say, Messiah, you mean he's already here? He said, no, he's already come. Well, glory to God, he said. Hallelujah. I rejoice. You rejoice. Don't you see? He loved Jesus so much. Hallelujah. He loved Christ Jesus so much that he laid his own personal suffering to the side and said maybe one of them will hear enough about the name of Jesus Christ and it'll draw a seed to God. Notwithstanding in every way whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. I then do rejoice. Yea, and will rejoice. <laughs> you imagine the people saying they're looking at him like y'all looking at him and saying, what? What do you mean? I mean? He was actually glad they were preaching pretense? No, he was glad they at least had to mention the name of Jesus. Some of you started out as a Baptist. Some of you started out maybe as a church of Christ or something else. And they had to preach what? At least a little bit about Jesus. And it woke something inside of you, a search that started. And it wound up in the revealed word of the hour. So Paul said, I rejoice because they're at least telling somebody the Messiah has come. Christ has come. But can you imagine how these men that did this, they will stand before the Lord Jesus and their works will be totally devoured and annihilated. Oh my. Can I go a little farther? 1 Corinthians again 3.13. Paul, let me say this. Paul would not allow himself to be vexed by the bitterness 
of their party spirit. You see, it was a party and they're dividing themselves. That's what it was. So that's what we've been dealing with for years and years around the message. The two soul party and the seven thunders and the return and all this and that and the other. It's a party spirit, spirit of denomination. And it divides God's people and it's of the devil. But Paul refused to be identified in any of that and become bitter and, and, and wound up. And, oh, I'll tell you one thing, I've got this old rotten sorry attitude that I ain't doing it. Glory to God. He said, if one of them guys will get up there and say something about Jesus, maybe there'll be a seed set unto her and say, Jesus, what's, what's Jesus? Who's Jesus? Paul said, I rejoice. I rejoice. And at least he's talking about that. Boy, you talking about something. If we would get our priorities right, instead of feeling so sorry for ourselves, well, I go through this and I go through that and I don't understand this. Well, what if God let it happen to you the way that Paul said, it has happened to me in defense of the gospel. And Paul went on to say, some of them have preached Christ of and of strife, but he said others got stirred up because I strode in jail. There's some of them brothers that was called to be preachers and yet they kind of took a back seat and was sitting around, but Paul said when they throwed, they throwed me in jail, them brothers got a hold to something and God got a hold to some of the Praetorian guard and God also got a hold to some of his other men because they looked at Paul and said that man of God can be persecuted, he can be like that, talked about, he don't even slow him down. He keeps right on preaching, right on loving Jesus. Oh, give us more men of God like that. That can be hated, despised, and rejected, but they are so in love with Jesus Christ. They rejoice that Christ is preached. Oh my. You see, Paul refers to this about the fire. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. The power of fire to try is symbolized in the Old Testament. Read with me, Isaiah 4, 4. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning fire. So fire then is used as a symbol of purging, manifesting something. Isaiah 24, 15. Wherefore glorify ye the Lord in the fires. Even the name of the Lord, God of Israel, and the owls of the sea. So God wants us to glorify his name when we are in the fire. Well, come on, it's easy to do it when you're on the beach side and everything's cool and you got a big glass of iced tea sitting there by you. It's a little bit harder to do when you're right in the middle of the burning fire. Somebody say amen. amen. I'll tell you one thing, we ought to be the type of Christians that we say, yes, Lord, I want this scripture to be mine. I'm gonna glorify you on the fire. I'm gonna glorify you when I don't feel like it. I'm gonna glorify you when I'm sick. I'm gonna glorify you when I'm so weak. I can't even hardly raise my hand, but I'm gonna bless your name anyhow. I'm gonna praise my way right out of this battle. Notice Malachi 3, 2. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. Matthew 3, 12. Whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So let me move from the preachers now for a moment. 
to move down to every one of you. What will your works be when you stand before the Bema of the Lord Jesus? Now, you know already that you are not rewarded for everything you do for yourself. Boy, if we were, man, alive, some of us would have some kind of reward, wouldn't we? Wow. Do you realize what you do for you is not written in the book of remembrance? Well, I bought myself this, and I bought myself that, and I did this for me, and I did that for me, and I did that for me, and I did that for me. Hmm. There's no record of that. You don't get rewarded for what you do for yourself, but what you do for others. Eternal life is not living for you. That's human life, which we all have, and was all born with that old rotten thing. You might as well say amen, because you're just as rotten as a pile of dirt. You stink, you're no good, you're, you're absolutely lost without God, you're a hog in a pig lot until God gets a hold of it. Then he changes your life and your nature and births in you eternal life, which puts another desire in you to live for others. And the church said, First Peter 1, 7, that the trial of your faith being more precious than that of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, that it may be found unto praise and honor and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So the fire then would be used to try individuals. The fire would be used to try works. So the day of the Lord is identified in many places in the Old and the New Testament as a bursting light or an illumination of fire. Now notice in verse 14, Paul says, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. Now if his preaching and his works and his practice of the way he lived is approved by God, then that man will receive a reward. To share in the glory of of Christ Jesus for eternity is a reward of God's grace. So what is it? It is wages as a builder that every true servant of God, now remember whether it's a preacher or not, every true servant of God, will God will pay you and give you of his goodness for your reward. Remember what the voice said to the prophet, a huge portion of heaven awaits thee. Well, it don't await me. And it don't await all these other preachers around the message. Why? Because I don't have the responsibility he had and neither will I get the reward that he got. Now I realize there's some around the message that think they're greater, more important than Brother Branham was and I just pray for the feeble-minded because that's what the Bible says do. Because they got to be pretty feeble-minded. If they think they're called higher than the prophet of God, oh yeah, they're pretty feeble, I figure. Notice 2 Corinthians 1, 14. As also you have acknowledged us in part, that we are, now notice what you will be to me, and what we will be to the prophet, and what all of us, the conglomeration of the seven church ages, will be to Christ. We will be to him what Eve was to her man, her Adam. The crowning, watch this. Also ye have acknowledged us in part that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. So the crowning of my ministry, 
The crowning of every true man of God's ministry will be the people he has helped and benefited. The ones that he's led to the Lord. The prophet said if you lead one person to Christ, that name is identified with you throughout all eternity. So every sermon that every man of God has preached and it's been word solid, word based, his motive is right, his objective is right, God gave it to him, God inspired him, but yet God will reward that man for studying, praying, delivering it and so on and then the people will stand there from wherever more and say I was blessed by that, I was set free by that, this happened to me, that happened to me. What is that? That's a crowning of that man's ministry. Now watch again in Philippians chapter 2 verse 15 that ye may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding forth now right here is where I got the name for our church holding forth the word of life holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So now here Paul is putting himself in that same place. I don't want to do all this for nothing. I don't want to run in vain, labor in vain. Oh, oh, children, can you imagine the disappointment when people stand there before him and they look around and they think, oh, I've done this and that and the other, and there's no evidence. There's no evidence of any of that because their whole basis of their ministry was because they wanted to preach. Their daddy said there's going to be a preacher. Their mama said there's going to be a preacher. Let me tell you something. If God wants you to be a preacher, God will call you himself. And if God don't call you, you ain't got no business getting in the pulpit. I wonder myself, I've wondered down through times and I'll keep right on wondering how many men are up preaching that ain't even called by God in the first place. It's easy to see a lot of them ain't looking at how they interpret the word. Look at the mess they make. Well, amen, Brother Donnie, go ahead and preach it. Oh my. Notice 1 Thessalonians 2.19. For what is our hope or joy oh my goodness or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming so Paul's asking them the question don't you know what my crowning is it's not that I fasted so much and I've done this and that and the other my crown my crowning of my ministry and a proof that I have not worked in vain is when I turn around and I see you all there you will crown my ministry. Brother Bradham said that that we will be the stars in his crown. So it makes me feel real sorry for them who say he's a false prophet because they won't be where there ain't no crowns nor stars, only fire. Oh, let me be a star, not in the fire. Praise the Lord. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye? Are not even ye? In the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Are not you my crown? If we are alive and remain when the Lord comes, what will be my crown? How many sermons I preached? 
how many churches that I've helped build around the world, how many things I've done this and that and the other. No, you. So if there is not one soul that stands with me that has become born again, that was delivered from darkness, that was set free, there's no proof of what I preach that I, I have to proselyte. And I've got to pull people from this church and from that one and that one and that one because I ain't got no power of the within me. If there ain't nobody standing there with me, it don't make no difference how great you think I've done. If there ain't nobody with me, my work will be destroyed. Help me, God. Help us, God. Let me close. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Look at the word here. Zemiel. Receive damage. To affect with damage. To sustain damage. To receive injury. So the phrase here literally means he shall be molucted. The word is a law term that means he shall be fined. He shall suffer detriment. Lord have mercy, children. We don't want to wait to find this out when we stand on the beam of God. If our motives ain't right, our objectives ain't right, let's fix them now. Amen? Amen. He shall suffer loss. Dear God, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so, as by fire. Let's stand. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, as I said, let's not just think about Preachers, but well, Brother Donnie, you know, that was totally for the preachers. No, it wasn't totally for the preachers. It's totally for every one of us. We'll get to it, Lord willing, next time we look at it again. But the New Testament speaks over and over and over and over again about Christians and their works, not just preachers. Christians and their works of what you do for others, what you do for the economy of God, what you do for the church, what you do for your brothers and sisters, whatever it is that God has called you to do. Oh my. Let's bow our heads if you would. Heavenly Father, I, I feel the same soberness that I felt this evening when I was sitting studying. As I sat there, Lord, with my computer in my lap and just this somber awesome presence I feel the same thing right here now Lord dear God I, I don't do anything that I do for reward I never have why should I start now I don't do it so that you'll say to me well done Donnie no you know that you know my heart I do it because I love your people. 
But Father, I won't stand there that day and look and see churches in Uganda and churches in the Philippines and here and there and there around the world and books and seven seal books and so on and so on and so on. I want to see people, people, people's lives who've been changed, people who are witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, the books will come, the tapes, the MP3s, all that sort of thing that we've done over the years, the church buildings and so on, food. But, Lord God, we want to see lives. You won't put a crown on a tape. You won't put a crown on a book but it'll be on a person. Oh, Father, I pray you'd help each one of these individuals, those also that are streaming, Lord. May we as the people of God do what you want us to do. Father, some of these sisters, maybe tonight to think, what in the world could I do? I ain't no preacher, I ain't no man, but they can be able to live their life in such a way that someone can take notice that they're different. They don't act like the world. They don't look like them. They don't dress like them. Maybe raise a question in their heart. Where do you go to church? What do you all believe? How come you dress this way? How come you do that? Then they are a living word, a living epistle. Lord God, the teenagers, the young men, the young women, the young marrieds, help each of us, Father, not to wait until we're in our 40s and 50s. Lord, I'm so glad. I gave you my teens. Every one of my teen years, I was serving you from 18 and on preaching. I gave you my 20s. I gave you my 30s, my 40s, my 50s. And now in the sixth year of my 60s, oh, and I don't regret a day of it. I don't regret one day that I gave you. Oh, but Jesus, help me, Lord, that my work will not be riddled with fire, that I'm not using stubble, hay, or wood. Help me, Lord God, to constantly add gold, silver, precious gems, jewels from your word. Then what will it do, Lord? It'll bring a gem or a piece of gold or silver from your word, your message, and then impart that into the lives of these individuals, and then they become the jewels themselves as they receive that word. So as we feed on that word, we receive the word and we become the word. So then we become the jewels that Jesus is coming for. Help us, O Lord. We love you, Father. How many would say tonight, Brother Donnie, I want the Lord to look at what I do. I want to make sure it's gold and silver and precious things. Oh, sure, you got to make a living, friends. God don't get mad at you for buying, you know, this, that, and other, but just moderation. Moderation is what we want. Remember, God's the one who gives us the ability to make money and do this and that, and he's going to make us answer for what we've done with what he's given us. Don't think that everything that God's given you is yours. God's given it to us many times so we could give it to others and give it out to others. It's not just for us. If the Lord were to call each of us tonight into account and make us answer for what we've done, what would be left standing? What would pass through his holy fire 
what would be left standing around you? I'm talking about your houses, your lands, your cars, this, that, and the other. I'm talking about what really, really would pass the test of the fire. That's what you'll take with you. Oh, my. How many wants to be remembered? God bless your heart. Brother Darrell, come pray for us tonight, buddy. Oh, friends. As you get older, when I was a younger man, you, you know, you thought about it, but you didn't think about it that much. But every day I live, Carol and I would be 67 years old here in a few months. Look at Brother Jack Benton standing there. Others standing here in their 80s, close to 90. If the Lord tarries, some of you that are standing here tonight in your teens, that'll be you in a few years, and it'll pass just like that before you know it. So don't wait till you get old to do what you can do for him. Do it now. Brother Donnie, I, I'm a young person. What can I do? Pray for those who are packing the ball. Guard them. Guard them. The Lord puts it on your heart. Send them a text. Go to the, go to the Walgreens and buy them a card and say, Brother, I love you. I'm praying for you. What are you doing? You're trying to guard that pastor of yours or that evangelist brother of yours between an old devil of discouragement that's trying to get him so down and so discouraged. Each one of us can be able to guard those that are called because when we finally make this final touchdown, we're all going home together. So don't get in your mind, oh, Brother Darrell, oh, he'll make a touchdown one day. Boy, he'll walk before the throne of God. He ain't gonna walk there by himself. If Brother Darrell walks there by himself and has nothing to show, what will all this preaching do? What will all mine do any good if there ain't people there? People, people that you burst. People that saw a living God in you and they become what they saw in you. Hallelujah. God bless you, brother. Pray for us back. Let's just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we we bow in your presence, Lord. Such a sobering word that we've heard this evening. Father, I pray, Lord, that, that our lives, that our efforts, Lord, would not be in vain. That we would run empty, Lord. But I pray, Father God, may each of us here, Lord, find our position, Lord, what it is that you would want us to do. And do it to the best of our ability, dear God. Lord, not for fame, not for popularity, but that one soul could be touched, that one life could be changed, that one young person could see Jesus, that one sick person could see health. Oh, God, I pray, Father, forgive us, Lord, of our shortcomings and our weaknesses, Lord. And mold us into the image that you would be pleased to dwell in, dear God. Lord, I pray for my brothers and for my sisters tonight, Lord. For my family and for myself, dear God, that we would be vessels of soul surrender to you, dear God. That others would see Jesus. God, it's truly our desire, Lord. It's never to build a kingdom, Lord. To build some name, dear God. I don't care if anyone ever knows, Lord, that I ever preached, that I ever traveled. I'm not interested in that, Lord. 
but that someone could say, I saw Jesus. Grant it, Lord God, I pray. I ask you tonight, Lord, that you'd move for each one. We'd just search our lives, dear God. We'd be willing to give ourselves away. May your blessings be upon your people tonight, dear God. May we take these things, Lord, and meditate upon them, that we could be better servants, Lord, that we could be better husbands and wives and sons and daughters, dear God, that you would be pleased, Lord, that you would be pleased with our effort, dear God. We commit these things into your hands for your glory, Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your truth. Lord, for the ability of the word to still touch our hearts, dear God. Grant it, Lord, I pray, Father. Lord, we thank you for Brother Donnie, Lord, for his example. Father, we thank you for his labor and what he's brought before the people, dear God. Lord, I can stand here myself and say tonight, Lord, that my life has been touched by Brother Donnie's ministry, Lord. And I thank you, dear God, for such a servant. And may your blessings continue to be upon him and his family, dear God. Oh, Lord, how the enemy would like to take them down. But, Lord, we bind together tonight by faith, dear God. And we ask, Lord Jesus, may the angels encamp about them, Lord. Raise them up, God. Touch Sister Erica, Lord, Sister Alicia, Scotty, others, Lord. Sometimes, dear God, we realize that the enemy don't attack us so much as does our family, Lord. Sometimes it affects us more when it's our family. But, Father, I pray tonight in the name of Jesus, by the same anointing that raised my Lord from the grave, may it move upon these needs tonight, dear God, we pray. Bless your children, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. When our brothers are setting out these chairs, they'd submitted a plan for us to be able to set them in such a distance from the altar. When I came in here and looked at it, I said, Brothers, I don't like where them chairs are. I want to move back because I want a bigger altar. So whenever I feel led in my heart to invite as many of the church as wants to come up to pray, we can have plenty of room to pray. I know most churches don't even have an altar no more, but I believe we need one. For those of you that like to just take a walk, just move out of your seat and come up. There ain't room for all of you, but for those of you that can't stand up here, you can stand down the aisle. Just come up. Let's just pray. Let's just have a rededication, a searching by the Spirit of God. Now, you don't want to just do it alone on yourself, but you want Him to search you. Because our hearts, unless God's in them, they'll never be honest with us. They'll be dishonest, and they won't be true, and they won't want you to see yourself as you are. But as Jeremiah said, who can know the heart? The heart can be such a deceitful thing. But may the Spirit of God come and I don't have a problem with him beginning with me. Let him look at me. Let him look in the storerooms of my heart. Let him look at the building material that I have in me. Let him look at the implements that I use for his service. Let him look at motive, objective, attitude. Check me. See if there's any envy. Am I jealous of anybody? Do I have any strife toward my heart in anybody? Did I build this church out of envy? Huh. 
God knows me, and those of you, if you knew me very well, you'd know I hate change. I hate change, and I sure hate major change. If it's been left up to me, we'd have never, never dug the first shovel of dirt where we are. But I felt like we needed to make a move, and we needed to have a bigger place for more convenience for our people. And that's why I did it. Don't you, don't you know and understand that God's men have always been men who were providers for their people. Brother Bram in Owensboro in 1956 sent our preaching to a church and they built a church there. And Brother Bram compliments the pastor and he said, this brother, he said, look at here what he's done with the money. And he said, a brother that's took, taken the money that you've given and built a nice place for you to worship. And Brother Adam brags and brags. Oh, I've got blasted for years and years by a lot of these filthy rich preachers around the message because I've taken tithes and built churches around the world. Of course, they wanted me to do what they'd done with their tithes, buy stocks and Exxon and BP. My stocks are on the other side. So when the stock market crashes, it don't affect my investments. I could have been a millionaire, friends, many times over. Many times over. But why in the world would I want to do such a foolish thing as that? Hallelujah. May God search our hearts. Are you willing? Are you scared? Or are you willing? Will you give him the key to every door in your heart and say, Lord, just come right on in. I ain't got no closets nowhere. I ain't got nothing hid. Right here's the key ring to every room I've got in my heart. You can have my wallet. You can have my heart. You can have my house. You can have the keys to my car. You can have everything. My motives, my objectives, everything about me. Search me, Lord. I do not want to fulfill what I heard our pastor preach tonight. I do not want to stand there that day at the bema of Christ Jesus and everything burn around me. And I'll be saved, but I'll walk in with no reward at all. Dear God, let's pray together, can we? Just for each other, for our family, for our, our church family. Father, I know this is such a different service than we had here last Wednesday night. The testimonies of the youth, and then, Lord, you come down in the prayer line, and, oh, Father, you healed. My, you, you delivered folks that was having all kinds of issues. But I, I believe you've got another thought of deliverance here now, Lord. Maybe not a back pain, maybe not a pain in their foot or here or there, but maybe they need to go through the storage room of their life and maybe they need to look at some motives and objectives and realize, oh yeah, they, they've given this for God and that for God, but really they could do more. Lord, look at me, search me. Father, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm getting up in years now and I, I realize I, I won't have the strength that I had when I was a young man, but God, can I do more? Can I give more? I don't want to be a, a preacher, Lord, that I, I, just, I just give a little bit because I use my age as an excuse. I'll give you every bit that I have. You know I've never held back one time. Whether I preach to 10 or 20 or thousands, I preach to thousands in one setting. And Lord, I preach the same, whether it's a handful or a multitude. Lord, begin with me, would you? Look at me, search me, 
Then, Father, I ask you to go down to each individual here tonight, every man, woman, boy, and girl. And don't stop here. Go over the internet, go out through the Father, maybe preachers sitting there in their home, not having a Wednesday night service, tears running out of their eyes, and they're saying the same thing. Search me, Lord God. Maybe others are archived from Holland and from Norway and from Iceland and Greenland and wherever around the world that they do. Father God, in the name of Jesus, may you search all of us, Lord. We don't want our works to be destroyed and burned, Father, but we want to be able to present to you something, a testimony that we lived on the earth and that we served your purpose, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray for the youth here, Father, that you would help them. Lord God, may they sing. Lord, help them to realize. Let a little group of them get together and go and take a guitar and visit some of the homebound. Lord, we got several on the screen out there that cannot come to church and they, they put it up on the screen. Remember sister so-and-so, remember brother so-and-so. Maybe they can go a few at a time and sing them some songs. Take them a pie. Just do a little something to reach out to them to let them know they're not forgotten that we love them. Oh Lord, there's something we can all do. But the sad truth about it is so many of us wants to pack the ball. We want our name in the lights. We want to stand before the camera and let everybody know what we've done. Oh Lord God, I don't have to be that person. You know me well enough to know if I could and I'd get away with it tonight if you'd let me, I'd step from behind this pulpit and turn this church over to another man and I'd retire and I'd step back and be able to enjoy the rest of my life. I don't have to be in the limelight. I don't even want to be. I wish nobody even knew me. But Lord God, what can I do if that's what you've called me to be? Then give me courage, Lord. Give me strength, I pray, Father, to stand and fight. Lord, if you call me to pack the ball, help me to pack it, Lord God. I'll go through the defense. Lord, there may be great big guys standing there that's way bigger than I am. Oh, I know some of them great old big giants that we'll face, Lord. They'll be so big and they'll look overwhelming. But by the grace of God, we'll be like that little Mexican woman down there. We'll go over the top of them. We'll go between their legs. We'll jump over and we'll do everything we've got to do because our baby has a need. Lord God, our desire is to serve you, Father. Lord, I want to please you. Hallelujah. If I get so old I can't preach, Lord God, then they may roll me out here. At least let me scream and holler, hallelujah. Let me say praise the Lord. Let me say glory to God. Father, I pray you would help us tonight to have a greater determination and a greater desire than we've ever had in our life. Father, I believe there's a reason for us to be relocated here. And there may be people that'll come in. I know there's already been lots and lots of visitors. And Lord, there may be 500 come through, but there may wind up being one that's got a seed. It's been wandering around out here and drunken parties and this and that and the other. And you had us to do all of this work and all of this building for one seed of God. And when that one comes in, we might go home in the rapture. It would be worth all that we've done, Father. No doubt the last seeds that are brought in will be some of the most expensive 
expensive seeds that have ever been brought. Lord God, paying internet bills and all this stuff to be able to reach it around the world, it will be the most expensive seed. But when we consider that one soul is worth millions of worlds, oh, hallelujah, how, how great expense could we put out for one of your children, Father? Then when the last one comes in, it may be an evangelist on the field. It may be a pastor in his church and he preaches a little simple sermon and he makes an altar call and the last one comes in and the pastor will take up the football and cross the finish line and there it'll be the last one that will make it. Then all of us will get to go home We won't be mad because we didn't win the last one. I don't care if I win them or not, Lord. I don't care who wins them just as long as they're won. Amen. We don't have to be the one that does it, Lord Jesus. We're just glad to be a part of your great work, Lord. We worship you tonight, Father. Oh, hallelujah. Can we just raise our hands in the presence of the Lord? We all know. Raising our hands is a universal sign of surrender. It means we lay down our armament, we lay down our weapons. Let's lay down our weapons, not against the devil, of course, but our fighting and our warring against God, against God and his call for whatever he's called us to be. And say, Lord, what can I do? What can I do, Lord? Help me. Help me not to take the ball from those who have it. Help me, Father, to guard Help me to stand right there. Help me to pray for every evangelist, every pastor, every God-called man. Oh, grant it, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord God. Sing something for us, Harry. Let us just worship just a minute before you go back to your seat, can we? Oh, thank you, Lord. Let the fire of the Holy Ghost go down through and purge every heart, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. Praise the Lord. We say, Brother Donnie, I'm up in the 80s. I can't hardly get around no more. Yeah, you can. You can be a light to us. You can be an elder here in our church. We can see people who've served the Lord for decades of their life. Everybody's got something they can do. Everybody has something they contribute. I ain't talking about from your wallet. I'm talking about from your life. Let's worship him. Praise the Lord. Oh, Jesus. Get rid of your wood tonight, friends. And Get rid of your stubble, your hay. Refuse me. Go into the mining business. Should Gold, silver, precious gems. Even I can do. Praise the Lord God. Praise the Lord God. Just to sing it now. And even though.
dirt put them in your service who would ever be able to take an old hillbilly from the hills of Tennessee or Virginia make something out of them that would reach people around the world only you Papa oh we love you tonight Jesus we worship you Father let's just worship him together shall we sing it for us Holy, I see you in the sunrise of your morning. It's like a picture that you painted for me. Love letter in the sky. But you can't. 
to the 
Hallelujah. Has it been good to be in the house of God tonight? Such a wonderful spirit here in the service tonight. God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good. My God is Oh! 